Welcome to Worldview, a foreign affairs podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Chris Dooley. On April 15th last year, many of us turned on evening news bulletins to be greeted by a horrific sight. One of the world's best known and most loved buildings, the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris, was in flames. The sight of the spire at the centre of the Gothic Cathedral burning like a torch before collapsing onto the roof was shocking to behold and stirred fears, all too realistic at the time, that the entire building might collapse. Our Paris correspondent, Lara Marlowe, was at the scene of the fire that night and in her front page piece in the following morning's Irish Times, she wrote Notre Dame saw the trial of Joan of Arc, the crowning of Mary Stuart as Queen of France, the coronation of Napoleon. Victor Hugo made the cathedral the central character of his 1830 novel. One half expected to see his fictional hunchback, Quasimodo, scampering through the flames. Lara has written again about Notre Dame in recent days and this time it's a more positive story. A terrific account, indeed, of the multi-million euro restoration of the cathedral, which is underway. Lara joins me now from Paris. Lara, before you tell us about the restoration project and how it's proceeding, I'd like to take you back to that evening in April last year. Can you remember what you felt as you watched the cathedral burn, fearing, indeed, as we all did, that its very existence was under threat? Uh, It was terrible. It was like watching someone die. There were people all around me on the uh, quayside opposite, on on the south bank, uh, the left bank of the Seine, weeping. I saw people kneeling on the ground and praying, and even people who weren't religious and who who never went to mass there told me that they they were absolutely devastated and. Uh, it, if you watch the fire, uh, it was so dramatic, the, the scale of it, the, the height of the flames, that it was hard to believe that the cathedral could survive. The spire collapsed. There it is. There is the iconic spire of Notre Dame Cathedral that has stood for centuries, collapsing just moments ago after burning for about 45 minutes or so. There it goes. Just devastating to see that. What was it in the end that saved the building from destruction? Was it something in the structure itself or was it the actions of the fire personnel? What made the difference in the end? Well, it was both. First of all, the structure, the medieval cathedral builders, and we do not know their names, sadly, in a way, uh, had the prescience to, to use the vaulted ceiling as a fire barrier. And in the, in the Middle Ages, uh, roofs often burned, usually because of lightning, but other accidents and things occurred as well. So the, uh, the ceiling actually fulfilled that purpose and had the spire not crashed through the ceiling uh, and t- taken down 20% of it. Um, there would have been almost virtually no damage inside the sanctuary. Uh, secondly, the firefighters who you mentioned, there were 650 of them in and around the cathedral on the night of the fire. And uh, they were very, very brave indeed. There were um, about a dozen of them inside the cathedral and when the spire crashed into it. And, and remember, the, the roof was made of lead. It was melting. So there was a sort of shower of molten lead. And the, the timbers from the burning roof were crashing through the holes uh, uh, that were made by the, the spire. And uh, those firefighters, and there was a, a woman among them uh, called Miriam uh, Chadninsky, I believe her family name was, um, the, the doors slammed shut because of the blast effect. 
and the uh, General Gallet, the, the head of the fire department, thought that he'd lost those 12 uh, firefighters. He thought that they would be dead. And then when they pried the doors open, they got them out and they sent a, a robot in to, to fight the fire inside the sanctuary. Uh, then around 9 p.m., remember the, the fire started just before 7 p.m., so it took it about two hours to get to the, the bell tower, the north bell tower, uh, which holds eight huge bells. And those bells are held up on timber frames and the, the timber was on fire um, and everyone knew Macron was there on site. He was um, conferring with General Gallet and they knew that if the, the timber burned in the North Tower, the bells would fall, the, the tower would collapse, the whole facade of the cathedral would fall. And then, and that was it, and it would it would be destroyed. So uh, General Gallet got twenty volunteers to climb the stairs in the North Tower, which was on fire. Um, he was afraid it might be a suicide mission for them. Uh, they ran in there with thirty two kilos of gear on their backs, uh, including uh, air tanks to breathe, and they fought furiously with with hoses spraying water on the flames for over two hours. And uh, in the end, they, they won, they triumphed, and, and the North Tower was saved, and thus the cathedral was saved. So it was a very, very dramatic um, event. And so ultimately, Dara, how much damage was done by the fire, and what was lost and, and what was saved? It's sort of a, a glass half full, glass half empty question, because uh, the things that were lost were, were very precious. Uh, the cathedral still had the original oak frame timber attic, which was from the 12th century. uh, And they called it the forest because a whole forest of oak trees had to be used uh, to build. And there were giant timbers, I mean, as thick as a man's waist or so. And that was virtually incinerated. That was lost completely. And the, the leaded roof uh, which was also the original roof that was lost completely. Uh, Violet Le Duc's spire, which he actually the original spire was taken down in because it was unstable in the 18th century. His spire was much higher than the original one, and it was it was a thing of beauty. It was really a landmark on the Paris skyline. It burned. Fortunately, just four days before the fire. Um, the, the 16 statues that Violet Le Duc, copper statues, had placed around the base of the spire were removed. Those were taken, I believe, to Perigord to be cleaned. And had they not been taken away, they would have been destroyed as well. Uh, what was saved is actually very substantial. There was, as I said, very little uh, severe damage to the sanctuary because the, the ceiling protected it. Uh, but actually the most precious treasure of the cathedral is a crown of thorns, uh, which Louis IX bought from an emperor in Constantinople in the beginning of the 13th century. He later was canonized. St. Louis walked barefoot uh, from the edge of Paris, holding this crown of thorns and brought it to Notre Dame. He'd spent half of his annual royal budget to buy the crown of thorns, and then he spent the other half of his budget to build the Saint-Chapelle to house it. After the revolution, the crown of thorns was taken to the Monet de Paris, where the revolutionaries had its um, it, the, the, the case that was holding it taken apart for the jewels, and they left the crown of thorns in a, in a sort of cardboard box 
uh, no, I'm not sure they had cardboard then, but a, you know, a little wooden crate or something. And then Napoleon took it back to the cathedral. So it has quite a history. Also, the kings of France used to take off the thorns one at a time and give them to their friends uh, or, or to other rulers in the world as gifts. So the actual, there are no thorns left on it. It's just a, a sort of wooden ring. Anyway, the, the crown of thorns was saved. And then um, about 1,500 relics and art treasures. And the other thing which was saved, which was fantastic, is the organ. Uh, it's the biggest organ in France. And uh, I hadn't realized that you can keep adding pipes to an organ. This one has almost 8,000 pipes. Um, and it's just a, a fabulous instrument. It, it's so big. Uh, the organist told me that it's, it's like a house. It has stairs inside the organ uh, with four floors. It has five keyboards. Um, so this, this huge musical instrument uh, was not touched by the flames and it was, there was just a door separating it from the fire in the North Tower. So some, some people believe that too was a miracle. It was contaminated by lead. As I mentioned, the, the lead roof uh, had melted and it made lead dust and, and that got in all the pipes. They're being washed with soap and water and it will be brought back in the autumn of 2023 to be reassembled. It will take six months to tune it uh, before the reopening mass in April of, tw of 2024. And that takes me, Lara, neatly to my next question, because Emmanuel Macron, the French president, he promised that the cathedral would be restored within five years. And that, that seemed an impossible target at the time. Now, you've spoken over many weeks to the key people involved in this restoration project. And I have to draw listeners' attention again to a fascinating account by you of the work involved, which they can read on, on irishtimes.com. So what did you find? How much progress has been made towards restoring the cathedral to its, its full splendour? Well, the actual restoration work hasn't really started. I mean, it, it started in the sense that a lot of the stained glass windows have been taken out and taken for safekeeping and they're, they're being uh, cleaned and, and so on, and, and the organ, as I mentioned. But the actual sort of rebuilding of the cathedral hasn't started. They've, until now, just been securing it. Um, there was a terrible fear that it, it remained extremely fragile after the fire and that it could still collapse. And uh, there were several factors that, that made them fear that. One was the heat waves in the summer of 2019. Remember, the, the temperature went up to 42 degrees in Paris. Uh, and, you know, heat is very destabilizing for, for fragile uh, old buildings, of course. There were also several um, tempest storms uh, which could have blown it over, literally. Uh, and the, especially the scaffolding, which had been erected before the fire around the spire, which was under uh, renovation at the time. The scaffolding, much of it melted and it made the um, Didier Cuisé, who's the head of Europe Echafaud, Faudage, pardon, et Europe échafaudage, that's a mouthful. Uh, he said when he saw it the day after the fire, he said, I thought, how the heck am I going to to get rid of this? How can I take it out of here? Uh, he said it was like a wart, a big wart on, in the middle of your face, and you don't know if you can operate on it or not. And they they couldn't figure out what to do with the scaffolding because it was, even though it was severely damaged, it was literally holding up um, the, the nave of the cathedral. Uh, so they had to very, very carefully dismantle that scaffolding. It took them five months to do that. All this to say that the securing of the structure 
is still really underway. Now, at the moment we're talking now in December, they are filling the whole interior of the cathedral with scaffolding again uh, to be able to restore the 20% of the missing ceiling and, and to strengthen the, what, the other 80% that's still there. Once all this is done early next year, uh, General Georgelin, who's head of the reconstruction, and we'll come back to him in a few minutes, um, is going to send out bids for tender. Uh, That will take about six months for the French government to choose the companies which will get the contracts to do the actual reconstruction work, which is, of course, rebuilding the roof, uh, rebuilding the timber structure of the roof. It has to be identical. That's been decided uh, and so on and so forth. And there'll be stonemasons and stained glass uh, makers and carpenters and a whole host of artisans involved in the actual reconstruction. So that will start uh, middle summer to autumn of next year, and that will continue until it reopens. Now, I should say that if you're planning to come over to Paris for the reopening of the cathedral, don't expect to see the spire. That will be done later. And don't be surprised if there's still scaffolding around the outside. Um, the, the outside will not be finished. But uh, General Georgelin promised me that the inside will be impeccable. It will be ready for services. And they're not going to leave it with tarpaulins and cleaning rags and that sort of thing lying around. Now, Lara, there are some very interesting characters at the head of this project, including the, the retired army general who was in charge of the reconstruction. And you mentioned him there a moment ago. Tell us more about him. He's called Jean-Louis Georgelin. Uh, he's 71 years old, if my memory is correct. He was a chief of staff of the French Armed Forces. He was actually Jacques Chirac's um, aide-de-camp, and then I believe it was Chirac who made him chief of staff of the Armed Forces. Uh, Sarkozy inherited him from Chirac, and Sarkozy once said that Georgelin's only, only defect was that he sang too loudly in mass. Um, he's a he's a bachelor and he's a devout Catholic. Uh, he subsequently became the Grand Chancellor of the Legion of Honor, uh, which, as you know, since Napoleon has been dishing out medals to uh, worthy people. And when he was head of the Legion of Honor, he showed already a great interest in architecture and, and preservation. Um, he renovated the Hotel de Salme, which is the headquarters of the Legion of Honor. It's just a few blocks from me. I walk past it every morning. And he did a beautiful job having that restored. And he also made a lot of contacts at the Ministry of Culture. So he was actually a very good choice because he's he's a severe, brusque um, sort of character. He's got this booming voice and he can be quite frightening if he wants to be and I think he really puts the fear of God into everyone working on the project and there is a tendency in France for these things to go on and on and on and on. I remember a church uh, near my former apartment, uh, the reconstruction or renovation um, I thought I would never see the end of it in my lifetime. You know, the scaffolding was up for, for a decade, more than a decade. So General Georgelin is making sure that it gets done. He also, I, I found his philosophy very interesting. Um, all of this sort of emotional outpouring over Notre Dame, when, when I asked him if it was a miracle that so much was saved, um, he basically ridiculed me. <laughs> and... and 
he t he told me, well, you know, in in the past, the world has been through much worse than it. It, it was interesting in many of the interviews. There was almost a confusion between Notre Dame, the pandemic, the jihadist attacks, all of these bad things that keep happening to, to France and, and the world for that matter. Uh, but Georges Hollande just said, well, you know, look, the, the Great Plague in 1438 was much, much worse than everything that's happening to us now. Millions and millions of people died. And, and he said, you know, the, the First World War, 1914 to 1918, you had a thousand French people being killed by German bullets and artillery shells every day. Day. Uh, so he was sort of implying that this wasn't really such a big deal, although he is totally dedicated to the reconstruction of Notre Dame. He told me it was a sacred mission. And now the, the chief architect, uh, Philippe Villeneuve, was an elusive interview target, but you did manage to corner him and get his perspective as well. Yes. And the reason he was elusive, well, there's two reasons, probably. He's working very, very hard, um, very long hours every day. Uh, but the other reason is that, I and I heard this from a source inside uh, the, the reconstruction effort, said that uh, the general had told Villeneuve to basically to shut up. Uh, in fact, he even admitted as much himself in a, a hearing with the Cultural Affairs Committee. So uh, he, he felt he was giving too many interviews, but he's a very articulate, eloquent man. He's an, um, an architect. He's also, like Georges Hollande, a very devout Catholic. And he fell in love with the cathedral when he was uh, seven or eight years old. He said that he became an architect when he was four years old because someone gave him a Lego set. And then his godmother gave him uh, a book about Notre Dame and, and the Saint-Chapelle when he was seven or eight for his first communion. And when he was a teenager, when he was supposed to be studying for his baccalaureate exams, uh, he was in his bedroom building a scale model of Notre Dame Cathedral. And he actually failed his baccalaureate for that reason the first time. Uh, but he went so far as doing pirate recordings of, of the organist playing on Sundays and so on. So he, he has loved this cathedral virtually his whole life. And uh, when the culture ministry actually put him in charge of restoration of the cathedral in 2013, so six years before the fire, uh, he was restoring Chambord Castle at the time. And he, he just jumped in the air with joy. And it's uh, there's almost this fusional relationship between Philippe Villeneuve and, and his cathedral. I mean, he it's almost part of his body or he's part of its body. It's, it's an amazing thing to see and to see the way his face lights up when he talks about the cathedral. Um, he, he really, really loves the cathedral. In fact, he told me his whole reason for living is to give Notre Dame back to the world. And is it the intention, Lara, to restore the cathedral to look exactly as it did before the fire? Or would there be some change in its appearance? The, the central spire, for example, that was destroyed, um, would there be a replica put in its place? Uh, a replica, exactly. Uh, there was quite a, a controversy over this after the fire. Um, President Macron had said uh, in the immediate aftermath that he wanted a, a contemporary gesture for the reconstruction. And, and Macron, for example, at the ADZ, he's put in a lot of modern furniture and modern paintings. And 
Um, so there was a lot of discussion about it. Architects started coming up with ideas. And uh, Monsignor Chauvet, who's the rector of the cathedral, sort of cringed when I asked him about this. And he said they were coming up with things like swimming pools and skating rinks on the roof. And some people talked about a crystal spire. Um, and the vast majority of people really wanted, I was asking friends around me and everyone said, no, it has to be the same. It must be the same. Uh, so the French, uh, being as how they are, commissioned a 3,000-page report, which concluded that it should be exactly the same. Uh, so Macron bowed uh, to the, the common wisdom, and it's been decided it will be exactly the same. Now, some people think this is not such a great idea to rebuild the timber roof and, re and use lead again for the roof, because those are, you know, what the things that burned. And, uh, for example, Reims Cathedral, which was destroyed in, in the First World War, uh, was rebuilt with um, a steel roof, uh, which is apparently cheaper and easier to do and also fireproof. But no, it's going to be exactly the same. They will use modern technology, of course, to rebuild it, but it will look from the outside the same. Now, there's a sort of mini uh, controversy going on at the moment because the Archbishop of Paris, since I actually wrote the article, has said that they might do something a bit modern in some of the chapels. Uh, maybe in there are some windows that are just uh, gray and white. They're sort of grisaille uh, glass, so there's no color in them, and they might replace those with some modern stained glass windows. For example, Marc Chagall had done some stained glass windows elsewhere in France, which were very beautiful and modern, and they're talking about maybe some modern furniture. And even that, people are resisting. They want Notre their Notre Dame as it was before. To which I can only say thank God for that, Lara. Just um, <laughs> on the, the cost of the restoration, uh, what kind of budget has been allowed for this and who's paying for it? The uh, There are four organisations receiving donations and they've got about 830 million euro uh, in the bank or, or promised, uh, you know, by contract. Um, about half of that has come from the, the three richest French families, uh, the Arnauds, Betancourts and Pinots. Um, and of, of that 830 million euro, about 40 million has come from abroad, which is, is quite a huge donation from abroad. And about half of the 40 million has come from the U.S. Now, the, I kept asking Georges Alain Villeneuve and all the Chauvet, the various people I interviewed, how much will it actually cost? And the truth is, they just don't know until the bids for tender go out and they start getting uh, estimates. They, they really don't know if that will be enough. It, it, they hope so. Uh, if it's not, you can be sure that the French government will step in, although it's virtually bankrupt because of the COVID pandemic. But they will find the money to restore it. And, and I think people have shown themselves, both in France and abroad, to be very, very generous uh, to rebuild the cathedral. So money isn't, isn't really a problem. We don't know how much it will cost. And by comparison, before the fire, the state was giving only 6 million euro a year uh, for the maintenance of the cathedral, and it was actually in very poor condition. Uh, so several of the people I interviewed said to me, even though we, we are very much regret the fire, even though the fire was a tragedy, a horrible thing, uh, at least for once, finally, there is enough money to do it up properly. And, and finally, Lara, just to go back to April last year, was the cause of the fire ever established? Uh, no, it was not. Uh, there is still an open investigation, but most people think we will we will never know. 
Um, the, the theories are that there was a lighted cigarette or a short circuit, electrical short circuit, but that doesn't really answer the question because um, what as, as uh, Villeneuve and Cuisset, who were on the, the reconstruction site for the spire, said to me they had no electrical tools, there was nothing electrical on their site, and they were outside the cathedral, whereas the fire started inside the roof. Um, other people say, you know, a, a lighted cigarette, give me a break. You know, one cigarette is going to set fire to these huge timbers, you know, the size of a man. That, that's really hard to believe. Although the wood was, was very, very dry. It was over 800 years old. Um, so that's and it's not really clear who could have been inside the roof. How could they have had access? Um, it was a secured site. Uh, and then there's a theory which is, is popular in, in the public that it was an Islamist attack. And you have to remember, Chris, that there have been more than 260 people killed by um, Islamic extremists in France since 2015. And a, a lot of people, especially devout Catholics who feel a bit under persecution because of murders and, and the horrible, well, you remember uh, the three people stabbed to death in the Basilica in Nice uh, just a, a month or two ago. Uh, a lot of people believe that it was an Islamist attack and that the government is keeping it quiet because they're afraid there might be pogroms against Muslims if it got out. Uh, but I did ask all the people I interviewed about this, and not one of them believed it, and they all totally discounted that. Uh, the Paris prosecutor has discounted that there was any criminal intent. So we, we just don't know. And they are sifting through every piece of debris that was taken from it, uh, looking for, for clues. But when you think of the that the, the heat of the fire was over 600 degrees, that you know everything was melted and charred, um, there's not really much hope that we will ever know. In fact, Philippe Villeneuve told me that every night when he falls asleep, it, it haunts him, that, that it's, it's really something that he'll go to his grave wondering how did this fire happen. Well, Ara, it's a great project and a great story and people can read a lot more about it in your article on irishtimes.com. We've just hit the story in spots really today. But thank you very much for that. And that's all for this week. Thanks for listening. Goodbye for now.